0: You know, if you're listening to that, please don't get the impression that the foster care system is a Christian ministry and we're we're getting involved in a Christian ministry. It's not a Christian ministry, it's a state run organization. And so the access that we have and the ability to bless and to bring blessing into the, that setting is just God opening doors so that he can flood that place with his life-giving care. So what a wonderful opportunity that we have as a church, and so grateful that there are folks running down streets for us and creating opportunities for us to jump on and and be a blessing to people. So if if you're sensing something from God, man, pray about that. Spend some time this Tuesday praying for children in the foster care program and ways in which we can Bring the light of the gospel into their lives and see what God awakens in your own soul uh, to do in that category. All right, well, today we are going to minister to our mothers who are here in our midst. And so let let me set this up a little bit. Maybe this is a misdirection of some thought here because maybe you've never thought about this. Have you ever considered motherhood as an important and a dangerous calling. It is both. Having children does something to you. It's not just something that's going to be happening. You're going to be having children in your life. Having children does something to you. And, and once you cross that bridge, there's no coming back. <laughs> once you have children, you, you, you can't go back and be whatever it was before that's no longer That doesn't exist anymore because there's something about those children in your life that has redefined you. So let me just I've jotted down some thoughts just to get you in this category. You're being honored today as a mother. It's because you've been blessed with children. If you've been blessed with children, then it's safe to say that has recalibrated, reoriented, and re characterized the rest of your life from that moment forward, you will never be the same person again. You have spent your life or you are just in the throes of beginning to spend your life distributing little pieces of yourself into these children. And so in some ways, part of you is disappearing from you. And it's going to be lodged inside of them. And and you're going to be downloading, if you will, downloading your life into their lives in the time that you spend, the energy, the thoughts that you spend with them through instruction and correction and discipline, through advice and influence and example, through the passions and the pursuits of your life, you're, you're going to be pouring out part of you into another address. And you will therefore pay attention to that address for the rest of your life. Now, I know I probably don't need to raise the question that if you're here and you're not sure that you're a mother. <clears throat> but just in case, I thought I'd put together a qualifying list to clarify whether or not you're a mother, all right? So you know you're a mom when, right, start of the day, having a shower becomes a privilege and not a right, and going to the toilet becomes a spectator sport. You're just wondering if you're a mom. You know you're a mom when on any given day you aren't sure if you've brushed your teeth or applied deodorant. You know you're a mom when peace and quiet cause suspicion. (laughs) When a sick day means you still do everything you normally do, only you stay in your pajamas. That's what a sick day is for you, mom. You know you're a mom when you count the number of sprinkles on each kid's cupcake to make sure they are equal. You know you're a mom when you want to take out a contract on the kid who broke your child's favorite toy and made him cry. You know you're a mom when you have time to shave only one leg. (laughs) Uh, You don't need to raise your hands on that one. Or your leg. You know you're a mom when you hide in the bathroom to be alone. (laughs) You know you're a mom when your child throws up and you catch it. (laughs) Uh, You know your mom when someone else's child throws up at a party and you just keep on eating. (coughs) Uh, I don't get this one, but maybe you moms do. You know your mom when you consider finger paint to be a controlled substance. (laughs) All right, You know your mom when you master the art of placing food on a plate without anything touching. (laughs) Some of you have children that require that. You know your mom when your child insists that you read Once Upon a Potty out loud in the lobby of the doctor's office and you do it. (laughs) You know your mom when you hire a babysitter because you haven't been out with your husband in ages, then you spend half the night talking about the kids and checking on the kids on the phone. You know your mom when you hope ketchup is a vegetable because it's the only one your kid seems to eat. (laughs) When you find yourself... Cutting your husband's sandwiches into unusual shapes. You can be pretty sure that's an issue of being a mom. When you fast forward through the scene when the hunter shoots Bambi's mother, you know you're a a mom in that moment. You know you're a mom when you can't bear to give away baby clothes because it's just too final. Some of you moms know what that means. You know you're a mom when you hear your mother's voice coming out of your mouth when you say, Not in your good clothes! <laughs> uh, you know you're a mom when you stop criticizing the way your mother raised you. <laughs> and lastly, uh, you know you're a mom when you say at least once a day, I'm not cut out for this job, but you know you wouldn't trade it for anything. So, moms, if you're not sure you're a mom, you probably found yourself somewhere on that list, and that is your life at some season or another. But let me go back to my thought here being a mother being a mother is a weighty issue that is that is bound up in your children right you just you 're not a mom without them, which makes your child or your children two things in your life it makes them very important in your life. And it also makes them very dangerous in your life. They're important to you. And because they're so important, they're dangerous to you. Their future is a dangerous place for you as you walk with them and relate to them and care for them. Uh, Jason had passed along to me an article this week from Elise Fitzpatrick. You guys remember Elise who was here a couple of years ago. Our ladies' conference, (laughs) she just had an interesting insight. She says, well, here it comes again, Mother's Day, or as I like to call it, the great day of guilt and discontent. (laughs) This is is truth. Men, you will relate to this statement like you never imagined. Men don't know what to do with it. It terrifies them. They hope that the gifts they've chosen will please their wives and mothers. They don't want to be known as an ungrateful person who failed to properly honor the woman who gave him life or birthed his children. Women don't know what to do with it either. Mother's Day angst sounds like this I wish I were a mother. I wish I were a better mother. I wish I loved my mother. I wish my mother loved me. I wish my mom were still alive. I wish I hadn't aborted that child. I wish I could have children. I wish I knew who my mother was. I wish I hadn't given my baby away. I wish my children loved me. I wish they would write. I wish they were still alive. Right, Mother's Day is a weighty day for moms. Because being a mom... Being a mom is a very, very important role, and it is also a very dangerous role to play in your life. So about almost every year or every couple of years, I set aside Mother's Day to preach on motherhood. Uh, For me, no matter what we give you in the foyer, uh, I I can give you no greater gift than something of revelation from the Word of God that will feed your soul and help you in this great calling of being a mother. Obviously, as Elise points out, men have a different perspective. We walk with mothers. We don't experience life through the lens of a mother. We didn't carry that child. We didn't nurse that child. There was a different role for us to play. But mothers uniquely have their lives interwoven with their children in such a way that being a mother is full of incredible elation and joy, and also full of what Elise calls angst, the challenge of being a mother. So I want to share something with you today. Hopefully, uh, it will apply to many of the moms here. It will especially apply to those of you who still see yourself investing in your children. You still have high aspirations for your children. And, and if you're a mom in this room, I just described you. There's just no way. You, your children never stop being your children. You're never done being a mother. The, the role changes. The daily interactions change. But you are never done. And you never stop carrying them in your heart. And so they can be... A great source of joy and a great source of angst and struggle and fear. So I, I hope today will bring some perspective in helping you to care for your children. I titled the message, The Motherhood Formula. Let me start with a story about a child like Tim. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Timmy. When he was born to his young mom, Eunice, she had the highest of hopes for who he would be one day. Like all moms, she lived with the possibilities that that tragedy or disease could touch her son like she had seen it touch others. She faced a mother's fears about whether or not Tim would fit in, whether he'd be picked on because he was timid and introverted and rather shy. He was prone to weakness and illness. He didn't fit in with the popular, more active kids on the playground. Then there was the issue of Tim being biracial and sort of not fully accepted by either side of the family. More than likely, she faced her own questions of whether she was doing a good job. And what about his future? What about his education? kind of job would he be prepared for? And most importantly, would he grow up to love the Lord, even though his father wasn't a believer? Let's pray. Father, how can we thank you for the women here today that we honor as mothers? Lord, if we pause and consider the ways in which our lives, individually, our households, each one of them, the people that matter the most to us, siblings and children, the church that we love to be a part of, Lord, how all of those settings have been influenced and touched and shaped by the mothers who are here in our midst. Lord, it makes us make use of this day to pause and say, Lord, thank you for these ladies here today. Lord, their task is a heavy one. It's an amazing one. It's a wild ride. It's a terrifying ride. And Lord, we pray for grace in this meeting to travel with them from here. We pray that as they leave this meeting today, as they take a rose with them, Lord, they will most importantly take with them your revelation, your word about their role that will serve them for years and years to come, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you actually know this young man named Timothy. You met him in Acts chapter 16 for the first time when you read your Bible, Acts 16 verse 1 says this, Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Now, Timothy is an interesting person that we get introduced to. Here too, he, he gets an unusual introduction in the fact that what is featured about him is, is he's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Now, if you're paying attention to how people get presented in scripture, they don't usually get presented through the connection to their mom, right? All the lineages have to do typically with the father. And so, in cultures all over the world, as well as in scripture, the feature is the father's role and influence. But when we come to Timothy, the father barely gets mentioned, and the feature player is his mom. And, you know, unless we think, you know, Timothy is going to become something here in the scriptures and he's going to be asked to accompany the great apostle Paul, he is hand selected for one of the most influential people in human history hand-selected that young man right there to go with him. Why? Because Paul had already done such a great work of discipling this young man? No. Doesn't even sound like Paul hardly even knows him at this point, which more than likely, he barely knows him. But Timothy's well-spoken of even at this moment in his life. People in the gathering there, in the these fledgling new church plants in Lystra and Iconium have observed something in this young man, Timothy's life. You got to wonder, how did that get there? The Apostle Paul hadn't been on the scene all that long. More than likely, it got there because of his mom. His mom played such a role in his life, such a role that Timothy is a guy we can still talk about today. Timothy's got two books of the Bible addressed to him. That puts him in unique category. Timothy is mentioned in 12 books in the New Testament. That's more than anyone else, including Peter, James, John, and even the Apostle Paul. So Timothy's he's a unique player in human history and in the church. Question, how did Timothy become Timothy? How'd this little boy, Timmy, grow up to be the Timothy that we see in Scripture and that we admire and still talk about? Well, a couple other passages might clue us in to some of his story. Later on, Paul writes to Timothy... Many years later, after Acts chapter 16 and 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, I'm I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith. a, A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. So Paul observes something in Timothy's life that he's seen somewhere else. He saw it in Eunice. And he saw it in Eunice's mom, Lois. Second Timothy chapter 3, a little bit later, Paul tells Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings and are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So how how does Timothy become the Timothy that we're talking about here today? Well, clearly Paul highlights in what he says here through the influence of others. There are influential people in his life. And at some point, Paul's going to become sovereignly by God's hand, an influential player in Timothy's life. But but who Paul highlights in these passages is the role and the influence of that Lois and Eunice played in Timothy's life. So without question, we can't argue with this. This is true in scripture all over the place. People become who they are by the influence of people in their lives. And today we're honoring mothers because the scriptures are honoring those mothers. They're honoring those mothers in Timothy's life. And I just want to point out two things because the Bible doesn't get exhaustive in this category, but it highlights two things about these women. It highlights their faith, their observable, experiential faith in their life that Paul could observe and others could observe. And most importantly, Timothy could observe. And it, and it highlights their love for the Bible. Right? It's almost like you can't get any other two things right. Just, just get those going on. Faith in Eunice's life. Now, you know, make Eunice a, a real person, which I think is going to be helpful for us this morning. She had to have faith in kind of an interesting setting, according to Scripture. What we can observe here, she was married to an unbelieving husband. That's true for some of you here. That's true for people that you know that you've walked with. Right now, you just call together the stories, the realities of what is it like to be married to an unbelieving husband? That's Eunice. She's having all those experiences. Now that, none of that's going to get cataloged. The Bible's not going to go into any detail on that. But Eunice was a real woman. And her Greek husband was a real man. So they had a real life together. You fill in the blanks. And she walked in observable faith in that setting. She walked in observable, demonstrable, effective faith in Timothy's life in, in, in the midst of the clash that would come through, the social awkwardness. She's a Jew, and she's married to a Greek. I mean, you guys have read your Bible a little bit. You know, this is a racial tension here. This is a biracial relationship, literally. I mean, they may be not considered racially different the way we would, but in that day, you could not draw a more bold line than between Jews and Gentiles. Whatever you got in your head, living in New Orleans and growing up here between black and white, you can just pick that up and stick it right here. There was all the tensions. There was all the angst and all the hostility of heart and all the questions and suspicions between who those people were. And here you are, you're Eunice, you're married to the other race, and you're raising a child. By the way, you're raising a child, if we keep reading in Acts... Who's never been circumcised. So already you can see. This child of a Jew. Hasn't been circumcised. You understand how. Controversial that would have been. For him to have been raised. In a setting where the mark. Of the covenant people was circumcision. And that boy right there is not circumcised. She's. Having to figure out. How to live life. Perhaps at some point. As a single mom. The the verbiage in this passage lends the possibility that Timothy's father's no longer there. He's dead. She's a single mom, right? Single moms here. You know it takes an amazing faith to go the role of influence and care alone. More than likely, Eunice has lived in a season of having to raise Timothy and perhaps other children by herself. She lives in a culture that is screaming and pulling on her family. Right, we talk about the American culture, but, but she's, you know, she's not in Jerusalem. She's up around the Mediterranean. So she's well away from the epicenter of religious culture. She's, she's in the Greek and Roman world with all of the abuses and the sexuality and the impurity and the, the idolatry and the polytheism all around her, and she's raising this boy in that. All right, now, can you get a feel for what it means to have highlighted the faith that's in that woman in her life? I think I wrote this in your outline. A life full of faith commends something more effective and powerful to a child than a life full of comforts, possessions, and even security. right? Wouldn't, wouldn't we want for Timothy to have a stable home environment? We would want there to be a, a healthy marriage between Eunice and her husband. We would want there to be consistent provision. We would want there to be needs that she's she's having to go through. Who knows what? Just to be able to pay bills. Right? listen. We are taught by our culture to make those things non-negotiables for our kids. Our kids have got to have that. They've got to have a place that's secure. They've, they've got to have the right education. They've got to have money in their life. And, and, and we, we go after that in such a way as though that is going to be what is going to most effectively transform their souls. That's what's going to bless and minister to, the, to their lives. Hey, look at I me. Mean, I grew up in the same neighborhoods you guys grew up in. Listen to the same kind of ideas. Had it filter through my lungs. So it's a fight not to think that the future of my children is all about what I can provide for them and whether or not I can buy that for them and whether I can send them to that college or not. It's a struggle, isn't it? But if you, if you want to cling to something, cling to what Eunice gets highlighted for here. She was a woman of faith. She was a woman who had a giant trust in God in the midst of this. And that had an impact on Timothy in his life. She was a woman along with her mother who loved the scriptures. And Timothy traveled through this place. You can see it in this verse here where he travels from being acquainted with scripture to learning scripture, to being firmly convinced and believing scripture. You see it in 2 Timothy 3.14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know what's amazing about this verse? All right, you have Acts chapter 16. Timothy's a, probably a teenager at that point. Paul is saying, I want him to come with me. 2 Timothy, oh, I didn't do the math. You're probably 15 years later, 16, 20 maybe years later in Timothy's life. All right, so Timothy's come a long way. Timothy's been accompanying Paul The great apostle Paul, if anybody could teach some serious theology to this boy, it's the great apostle Paul. And they've been spending time together. They've been writing things. Timothy gets included in things that Paul is writing to the churches. He's hearing Timothy speak. uh, Paul speak and teach. Timothy has been affected by Paul's incredible ministry. And yet even at this point in Timothy's life, the apostle Paul turns around and says, remember the things your mama taught you. That's pretty amazing. Mothers, do not overlook what you are installing in your children's lives. That they could be standing in a pulpit like Timothy was 15 or 20 years later and what you taught them is foundational to what they're saying to those people that day. You just thought you were reading the Bible story. Now you were doing something amazing and eternal in their lives. Uh, Let me just side note here, all the the young people, children, teenagers, listen for a second here. There's something in this passage here that, that, that you cannot, must not overlook. At some point, Timothy was acquainted with sacred writings. He heard Bible stories. I don't know, maybe he had one of those Father Abraham songs or something that he learned, you know. So he had these concepts in his head about people from of old and these concepts about God revealed in the law and in the example of the temple and what all that meant. So he had all these images, and he was a kid with that. At some point, you have to learn what that means. You just can't know about it. Do you understand the, the danger for being a person who just knows these things? At some point, I think the teenage years are good years for this. At some point, you got to transition from knowing all those stories that mom told you about, all those images that you learned at the feet of your parents and in Sunday schools. You have to start asking some serious questions about these things. You've got to learn what they mean. And Timothy has done that. And when he learned what they meant, he became... Came a firm believer in those things. If you're 20-something, 30-something, and all you got is Father Abraham stories floating around in your head, you're in some serious trouble right now because the world is spending 24-7 convincing you of something else. Not a little bit, but a lot, and they're good at it. And it's all polished up, and there's an app for it, and, and it's on the billboards. As long as you're not texting while you're driving, you're seeing that billboard. It's everywhere around you. The world has figured out ways to install and download its philosophy, its answers for life. What you need right now at 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 years old, what you're going to need when you're 60 or 80. Everywhere you go, you are trying to be convinced of something. You had better be convinced of something else. Not, don't, don't sing your Father Abraham song. If that's all you got, that's fine when you're a kid. And that's what you should have. And we should be imparting that to our kids. But at some point, you got to start asking the tough questions that you need to be asking about those things. And you got to own it for yourself. And, and those ideas need to become your convictions. Now, when they do, now you can actually fulfill the great commission. Try and go tell somebody the message of the gospel when, when, when it's just a storyline to you from some cute thing you learned when you were a kid. And you didn't firmly become convinced of how desperately you needed a God who would step into your life the way God stepped into Abraham's life and made him a person after he was, he was nothing in the kingdom of God. And he had no heart toward the kingdom. He was an idol worshiper. And this God goes and finds this man and makes him a great nation because that's what God's like. You're going to need to be convinced of that at some point if you're ever going to go tell anybody else about that God. If these are unaffected stories in your life, you're not going anywhere with the Great Commission. You're not all that affected by it. You don't have a story to tell. But you learn and you become firmly convinced, it'll revolutionize your life. And that's where Timothy is, and that's why we're still talking about him today. But Lois and Eunice loved the scriptures. Ken Hughes said, Lois and Eunice began to teach Timothy from the earliest possible age the substance of The Old Testament. His first stories were Bible stories. From them, he learned of the great events and grand uh, passages of the Old Testament. And building on that, they taught him the Bible's precepts and principles. These godly women filled his head and heart with God's word, which made him fertile ground for the gospel. Right? I don't know, ladies, get this image in your head. You're sitting down with your children, whatever age they are, and you're teaching them the truth and the word. And it's, and it's like you're installing soil in their lives. It's like you're populating their life with the soil that God will then plant. And there will be a great harvest of the gospel in their lives. John Piper so, so let's make very clear, the apostle of Jesus Christ in this text bestows on motherhood and grandmotherhood a great honor. You have a calling that can become the long-remembered ground of faith, not just for your children, mark this, but for the untold numbers who will be affected by your children. And that's in addition to all the other thousands of ripple effects of faith in your life. And so mothers, you are, you are walking in faith like a Eunice and a Lois and you are loving the Bible and imparting it to your children. And, and that's, of all the things, I don't know, you know, whatever else there was to know about Eunice and Lois, that's what we walk away knowing. Don't know much else. Don't know whether they were the prettiest ladies on the block or not. Don't know whether they're a mover, a shaker on some activity happening here or there. But what we know about them is that they walked in faith that had an impact and they loved the Bible and they gave it away, right? That's what we know. All right, now at this point, if you're a mom or a dad, i picking on moms this morning. I wonder how many mothers are aware today that you, you are looking for a Timothy formula. You want to know, what do I need to do In order to have Timothys. Uh, I want my child to be great in the kingdom of God. I want them to know and love God. I want them to do the things that Timothy did. So what do do I need to do? What's what's the formula? What's the the formula? What do I do here, right? I made a formula there. we got Lois plus Eunice plus faith plus Bible equals Timothy. There you go. There's your formula right there. Oh, now here's the only problem. Formulas aren't in the Bible. Formulas are inventions that we do. And if we want to talk formulas, right? I mean, I've got to make use of my engineering background. If we want to talk formulas, now we're into the realm of math and science. And and in order to create formulas, formulas get created when significant study of data is done over and over and over and over and over again until you become convinced that within the realm of possibilities... This is always the way it is. So you create a formula, a you know, Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. You guys remember some of that? Right? Playing with triangles lately? All right, that's what you come up with. That's always true. Draw the triangle however you want. You know, it's always true of certain triangles, actually. Not of all. But in the Bible, is that the way it is? Is the Bible giving us formulas? We read these passages. Is this a Timothy formula? Well, we probably need a lot more data to know what's what's in this formula. All right, uh, did did Timothy have brothers and sisters? Well, we don't know. The Bible just doesn't tell us. How many guys would assume that Timothy had brothers and sisters? In this culture, more than likely, many, several. Right. The matter of fact, when you father, fathers tried to raise up sons to kind of take the family business, provide for. There was a bunch of motives for why people had big families back then. So more than likely, Timothy's got brothers and sisters. Um, do we have, have any idea how Timothy's brothers and sisters turned out? I mean, we have we got Lois and we got Eunice and we got Faith and we got the Bible. Were they all Timothys? I mean, Timothy's the only one get mentioned here. Paul didn't show up and say, hey, I'll take Timothy and Petey and Freddie Jr. And, um, just give me the whole lot. Give me all of them. They're amazing. Every one of these kids are amazing. Uh, only Timothy. I don't know what to conclude by that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not given enough data to create a formula here. And what about Eunice? She's a woman of faith, and a woman who loved the Bible. What was the rest of her life like? What was she like 24-7? What was she like after 10 years of raising Timothy? What what do we know about her? We know these two things, but is that exclusively giving us an insight into what Eunice was like all the time? Now, if you've done this, it's interesting because, you know, growing up having kids, we were always trying probably look for formulas, what we were always doing, trying to find somebody's formula that could work. So you'd sit down with, you know, older women and sort of say, okay, tell me, We never asked this question, but I'm looking back thinking, I think this may have been what we were asking. Tell us your formula. (laughs) Tell us your formula to get kids like that. I want Timothy's. Tell us your formula. And many of them, because you're looking at little bitty pieces of data and you're leaving out so much. And many of them would probably start the conversation by laughing. They just kind of laugh they go, well, it wasn't always like that. And that's kind of the way they'd start the conversation. And then they'd start filling in some of the data. They'd talk about themselves, you know. You wonder, I mean, if you had coffee with Eunice and you said, Eunice, tell me, how did you get Timothy to be like that? And she, when she's done laughing, she breaks out coffee and you all start talking. And she said, well... I know you haven't heard about the day that I, I chased Timothy's father around the house with a kitchen knife. I was ready to kill that sucker. Um, <laughs> and, you know, nothing got said in here about that, about that season of depression that I went through. Because my, my, you never could tell when my husband was coming back or not. I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know what he was going to be like next. He was running around and running around with other women. That was really hard for me. I don't know how Timothy handled that. Or that. The loneliness I went through. I wonder if Timothy sometimes felt like I was really self-absorbed because I just felt so lonely. My husband didn't love God. It was just me loving God, and I just missed that so much. Or um, you know, you probably didn't get a chance to read about you know what you know. Timothy wasn't always Timothy. You ever have parents tell you that? You know, Timothy went through a time where he was I don't know. He was just weird. He just wanted he didn't want to be around anybody. You know, he was just real quiet and withdrawn and awkward to be around and. You know, he'd he'd, he'd bite you or he'd ignore you. He was just, he was a a weird little kid. Uh, And and, and then there was that time he was just so unresponsive. And as a teenager, I couldn't get him to say more than, huh? Yeah. Huh? Right, now do you recognize none of that is in this story? Is it not in this story because Eunice never experienced any of that? Probably with them. The closest to a Eunice and a Lois that we have would be Gina's grandmother and her and her mother. Edna and Irene. How's that for old time, huh? Edna and Irene. Edna Mikkei and Irene Gilly. And these these were these were godly women. They they loved God. You know, I've told you before, Edna's legacy of having raised four daughters and then raised a granddaughter as well in that mix, uh, was to have three of them go on to marry pastors and be serving churches uh, to this day. Three out of the five. another One of the others, all of them believers, one of the others served uh, full-time as a staff member in a church for a good number of years. And so Edna's got some legacy. And so, you know, it'd be very easy, and I'm sure we did this with her, but her answers were just... Non-formulaic. Edna, what's the formula? What'd you do to get from here to there? Now, of course, she filled in some of the details of some of her children, my mother-in-law in in particular. um, It would be a colorful, colorful track of how Timothy ever became Timothy. But she didn't have much of a formula. You know, you'd ask her these questions and she just... Oh, I don't know, I just, I just did this. And she just was a simple woman who loved God. There wasn't this complicated formula anywhere. So not only in, sometimes in people's lives, there isn't some recipe, there isn't some formula, there isn't some one, two, and you'll get three all the time. And it's not in the Bible that way either. But, but here's the danger. Moms, be careful that you don't create a motherhood formula where the Bible hasn't created it a motherhood formula. And I'm talking about mothers today, but this this is very tempting to do all over the place in life. I'm tempted to create a pastor formula, right? And I can study Paul's life and I can use him as an example and look at the way in which he do things and the things that he taught, the influence that he had on young guys like Timothy, the way in which he raised up leaders and commended that we should do the same the things that he influenced churches to accomplish. Things that lasted and lasted and lasted. I can stare at all that and I can create a Paul formula. This, this is the pastor formula. That if I do this and I do this and I do this, I'm going to get that. But it's not in the Bible that way, is it? Right? Have you just read Timothy? Have you just read Timothy's account from Paul? You would think Paul, he did all the right things. He's going to get all the right fruit. Well, this is just a couple of things he tells Timothy. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Earlier in the same book, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. wait a minute, Paul, you said all the right things. You did all the right things. You had the right technique to raise up leaders. Paul, you were doing it all. How did everybody desert you in Asia? How did those who were following you and close to you and believing with you fall in love with the world and walk away from from the ministry you were leading, Paul? Paul? If you follow Paul's story and visit the churches that Paul was involved with, the Ephesian church, Paul spent more time in Ephesus than he spent anywhere else, pastoring and caring for those people, laying the foundations for all that that church would be. And yet you don't even get out of the first century before the Bible turns around and says, Ephesus, you have left your first love. You are needing to be restored. Wait, 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 What? That's a church Paul helped establish. Paul, Paul did all the right things. He preached all the right messages. He lived amongst those people. He said that to them. I shed tears. You remember in Acts? When he calls the Ephesian elders over, all the labor, all the manner of life, Paul did it right. And we don't get out of the first century that that church isn't falling apart. Did Paul do it right in Corinth? Paul preached right to Corinth? Because, you know, if you're wanting to shop for a catalog of sins, I would tell you to open up to the Corinthians. But Paul, Paul did it right, didn't he? Did Paul preach the gospel to the Galatians because they were the most legalistic people around? But yet Paul opens the book up, saying the gospel which I received and have shared with you. Wait, so Paul, you shared the gospel with them? And that didn't rescue them from embracing legalism like nobody else did in the New Testament. Listen, we, I, I want to create formulas. Mothers, you are going to be very tempted to create these formulas that if you do this and then you do this, then you're going to get this. You're going to get Timothys. This is how you get Timothys. Except the Bible doesn't present it that way. Have you ever noticed that, that God's not bound to formulas? If there's anything you learn from Jesus showing up, putting his feet on planet earth, you learn that God is not bound by formulas, right? Remember the formula for H2O water. What happens when you, when you step on water, what happens when Jesus steps on water formula gets broken and he invites others to break the formula too. A little lunch for one. How much can this feed? Oh, one person until Jesus touches it and can feed thousands. Where'd that formula go? All the people who were social misfits, social outcasts, looked down upon, don't fit in like the prostitutes and the tax gatherers. But when Jesus shows up, they're in. They're included. The blue-collar fishermen who, you know, hey, we're glad for you guys to hang out at the wharf, show up, give us some, some seafood. But you're not welcome into the think tank of things. Become the statesmen for the kingdom of God. Can you follow Jesus' formula? It's a little hard, isn't it? Death is this thing everybody's terrified about. Oh, death is horrible. We're all afraid of it until Jesus touches it with resurrection. Now we anticipate it. Now it's a new day when we're going to put on immortality. Right so can you can you help me create a formula for Jesus? He doesn't do formulas real well. He turns things upside down. He does such unexpected things in our lives, mothers. Can you begin to look to Jesus and not look to a formula that if you can just figure out how to do this at 9 a.m. and this at 9 p.m. And the kids do this and you do that and they say and you respond and, and oh, okay, did I pick up something from Lois and Eunice I can use today? And you get under the weight of doing the formula thing and you lose sight of the Jesus who's the real mover and shaker in the midst of this, right? How does Timothy turn out to be Timothy? Second Timothy chapter one, verse three, Paul kind of gives it away here. He says, I thank God as I remember you, Timothy. Timothy, when I look at your life, I look at what you've become. I look at the influence that you've carried into this world. I Thank God for who you are, John Stott says this is significant. It indicates paul 's recognition that it was God who had made Timothy what he was. Listen, are, are, are we forgetting something here how did what 's the, what's the greatest thing about timothy 's life well behaved, well spoken glad for those things. What's the greatest thing about Timothy's life is that he's saved, is that his blinded eyes have been opened, that he sees the living God. How many of y'all think Eunice did that for him? Right? Ephesians chapter two. Mothers, there are certain things in your children's lives that you cannot do. Only Jesus can do them. Only he can show up and break the formula of their lives. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. This is Timothy. Timothy, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived In the passions of our flesh, we wanted to do these things, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. Together with Christ. By grace, Timothy, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Timothy, I see that in you is the same faith that I observed in your mother Eunice. And that was also in Lois. Timothy, have you read Ephesians chapter 2? Did you see where that faith came from in them? And where it came from in you? It was a gift of the merciful God. It came from God. Eunice can't give that faith to Timothy. Lois can't give it to Eunice. You got to get that from God, mothers. There's a boundary around who you can and who you can't be to your children. Follow whatever formula you've created. You can't do Ephesians chapter two. Only God can do Ephesians chapter two in the heart of a person, any person. How does Timothy get to be a saved Timothy? The same way anybody gets to be a saved person. I look at my life as I read that passage in Ephesians chapter two. I I didn't have a Lois or a Eunice. Yet God had mercy on me. I was never exposed to gospel preaching growing up. I was never led in a devotion. I was never encouraged to read the Bible. How did I ever become a Timothy? Because the same God who saved Timothy saves me. You don't have to have a Eunice to become a Timothy. I didn't have one. And many of you didn't have one. Mothers, mothers, be very careful what you do with these passages. They are very helpful. They can become very dangerous. So this, this is part of the challenge that comes to us when we take what the scriptures say by way of human example and we make use of it and we preach it. I've done it many, many times. And we recognize the human element present in this passage. Eunice and Lois are being commended for their life of faith and for their love of the Bible and imparting it to Timothy. And whether we realize it or not, we may have begun to feature that in a way that God didn't feature it. He just told you it as an example. He didn't install it as a formula. He didn't guarantee you if you do these things, you'll get Timothy's too. We don't have enough data to know what happened in other categories and other people around Eunice and Lois in their lives. Listen, this is how God's redemptive formula sounds. Into humanity's weakness, waywardness, and sin, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will save and work and reach in spite of. You understand? In spite of becomes everything God does since Genesis chapter 3. And while I love and appreciate the influence and the help that's in this passage about Eunice and Lois, I love the way the Bible gives me real flesh and blood examples of people. Do you know that most of the times that flesh and blood examples are being used by God, they're being used in spite of them? Go look at most of them, it's rare to find somebody who gets spoken of very much that you can't dig up some real dirt in their laundry bag. In spite of Sarah, she has a child of promise. In spite. Listen, you know very little about Sarah, but did you know she's a manipulator? Did you all know that? How would you like to live with Sarah, gentlemen? She talks you into... sleeping with your slave girl. Then she has a son by the slave girl only to say that's not what I want. That's not what I wanted. I changed my mind. That doesn't work for me. As a matter of fact, it makes me feel worse because now I can't tell, Abraham, where your affections lie. I don't know if you love her more than you love me. She gave you a son. She created problems for herself. Where'd she get that idea? She didn't get it from God. But she convinced her husband to do it. He listened and he's responsible, but come on, ladies. It's tough to live with a woman who's got one thing on her mind only. She wanted it. She got it. She didn't like it. In spite of Sarah, she has a son of promise. Why did she have that son? She was a barren woman. That's what, that's what she's bringing to the game. She's bringing barrenness and manipulation to the game. That's what Sarah brings to this moment. How do you get a son of promise out of that? Only God. That's how you get it. God overcomes the barrenness, and God works beyond the manipulation and fulfills his promise. Listen, this is all over the place. Some of you all think that David's a hero in the scriptures. If you don't, you got a problem. He is a hero. Dude did incredible things. He's spoken of incredibly well. There's much to love about David. But listen, you wouldn't know what to do with David if he moved in next door to you. Honey, did you meet the neighbor? His name's David. He seems really nice. I mean, besides dancing in the backyard in his underwear to songs, he's really, really a nice guy. Well, honey, I don't know. Listen, if he comes over, just don't open the door. What? Why? Well, from what I understand, the dude just loves to get with women. He's an adulterer, and then he's a murderer. And I don't want to end up dead, all right? So just don't open the door if he comes, okay? Trust me on this one. And have you met his kids? I mean, I don't know if all of them will be living there, but they're just wild as all get out. Here's what I heard. I heard one of the and he's had a bunch of wives, too, by the way, babe. He's got a bunch of wives. He's got a bunch of kids from different moms, and, and this one over here raped that one over there. And that brother over there got all teed off at him. So he killed him after he raped her. Uh, and then another brother got all twisted up and he decided he was going to take over from his dad. I mean, it, this place is nuts, babe. I don't know what you do. What's it like around here during the day? You would not have wanted David to be your next door neighbor. But yet, do you realize that Jesus Christ is sitting upon the throne of David today? The eternal throne of David? Why? Because David followed a formula, had it all together? Now, listen. From Genesis 3 on, ladies, if there's ever a mother who made a giant mistake, it was the mother of us all Eve. You know, you don't even escape Genesis 3 without God already being on the scene, already providing, already establishing his plan, already telling her that, yeah, your seed is going to crush the serpent's head. The one that was behind all this stuff, the one who instigated all this deception and destruction, your seed will crush his head. How how on earth does God turn around and say that to the person who really didn't have an awareness of sin when they were placed in the garden? And by the time he turns, you know, God doesn't turn his back, but he comes back onto the scene. Eve has made this horrible decision. God, how can you say that there's any future in hope? Who, who knows what that woman's going to do next? Apparently, what God is going to do next is a whole lot more important than what any of us are going to do next. Mothers, 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 can you keep that in mind? What God is going to do next in your family is so much more important than whatever you're going to do next. I think God would give grace to the angst and the weight and the dangerousness of being a mother if we can keep God in sight this morning. So why don't we do this? Let's close by praying for all the moms who are here this morning, let me ask all the moms let me do this first, I'm going to have you stand up in waves let me ask all the moms who still have children at home, if you would stand up first right, how many of you guys recognize Especially you moms who are still seated right now, you moms who are still seated. Can I, can I, can I point something out for you, you moms seated? That you, you, whether you realize it or not, and whether you've been doing this or not, you have a role in the lives of all these women standing right here. You have a Titus two role in their lives. See, because there's a bunch of them here right now that they're desperately trying to figure out a formula. Matter of fact, they're enslaved to trying to figure out a formula. When they they go home from encountering something that's working somewhere else, some of them go home and bludgeon their husband. Because he's the reason why the formula is not working. And so they kind of attack their husband over, if you would just do this or that, our whole family would change. Some of you wives that are sitting down right now, you need to go out and have coffee with some of these ladies. And you need to talk to them about the formulas of life. I'm serious. Because you've lived long enough and you've experienced enough life and you've loved enough of the Bible to see some things about God that some of these moms desperately need to see. All right, all the other moms. Let me have all the other moms here. Go ahead and stand up. Moms with children not living at home. Probably you are in the grandparent years as well. So you have generations in your life. Guys, if you look around, I think you see why we preach Mother's Day messages. That's a lot of our church, isn't it? Our moms. All right, moms, before I pray for you, I just want to give you a couple thoughts. I think I wrote some of this out in your outline, so take it home and look at it carefully. All right, so if, if you're not going to be a mom for the sake of a formula, if I do this and then I do this, I get this. So I got to keep doing this, I gotta keep doing that, I got to get that. All right, so if that's not why you're going to go home and be full of faith and loving the Bible and living as a mom the way God has called you to. Why Why do it? Well, here's the reason. Just be a faithful mom for the glory of God. Don't 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 try and be a mom who has mixed up something here and decided, I want to be this kind of mom because I want to get those kinds of Timothys. If you, if you do that, can I just tell you, you, you are going to you're going to be held to live with because it's very frustrating for you to be measuring who you are on a moving target named young Timothy. Doing well one day, stinks the next day. Doing well one day, stinks the next day. Speaks to you today, says great things, won't speak to you at all. Um, And then you're trying to figure out who am I in that moment. Or can you just decide you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to be a faithful mom for the audience of God, for the pleasure and glory of God of God. You 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 leave the kids in God's hands. I don't think Eunice was saying, I can see the day when the great Apostle Paul is going to show up and pick one of my kids. He's going to pick mine. He's going to pick little Timmy. Um, I, I don't think Eunice was doing that. I think she, Eunice was just living her life for the glory of God. Therefore, she was full of faith and she loved the Bible. And she just lived that way amongst her kids. I'm trying to see if if they validated who she was or not. Just live in for God, for his glory. Walk in faith for the glory of God. Get up in the morning, walk in faith for the glory of God. Love the Bible for the glory of God. Not as a coin to be deposited in your kids for later reaping. God's formula has always, listen, always, always featured God. God has got a formula, he's it. He's the feature in this, not human contribution. To all the mothers here who are flying solo, single moms that are here, moms who are married to a a man who doesn't follow God, his delight is not in God. Listen, to all you moms, do not underestimate your influence in your children's lives. Eunice brought influence even though all those factors that you're experiencing were a part of her life. Ladies, do not underestimate what God does through you in your children's lives. Now, to every mom here who's taking a piece of yourself and putting it into your children... Do not overestimate the role that you are playing in your children's lives. And therefore forget about God playing his role. There are things in your children's lives you cannot do. As a matter of fact, the most important things in your children's lives you cannot do. Only God can do them. if you begin to think that you are the one who has to do them, discouragement will eventually shut you down in the categories of faith and just love in the Bible. So I hope today, I hope you discovered that there isn't a motherhood formula. <laughs> Sorry for the bad title there. There's no formula that you can follow that will guarantee you Timothy's. The Bible never meant to sound that way. We might have made it sound that way. So we want to pray for all you moms to be moms for the glory of God, for his pleasure and his delight in the fact that you wake up every day answering a call and trusting what God will do in your children's lives. Not looking to you to make something happen in their lives, but looking to the God who makes anything happen in any of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, on Mother's Day, it is easy for us to pause and to be so thankful for the way in which you have blessed our lives with moms. Lord, none of us, none of us can recall perfect moms. Lord, none of us more than likely escaped childhood without a few scars. (laughs) But Lord, as we have grown, we have grown to appreciate the life our moms lived, the sacrifices that they made, the way in which truly they took a piece of their life and put it inside of us. Is it any wonder that they might like for us to stay in touch? Connect with them. Download how we're doing. Because there's a piece of them inside of us. So Lord, would you help all of us who are not seated here today to be aware how we can care for and serve our moms and be faithful toward them. But Lord, for all these ladies that are standing here today, Lord, I, I pray that revelation from your word, truth about you, would flood their souls. Lord, I pray that you would rescue moms from taking an important task and letting it become a dangerous occupation. Lord, that you would rescue them from the day that being a mother seems to feel so heavy it's unbearable. Being a mother is equated with the angst of motherhood rather than the Freedom and joy and delight. Lord, I pray that you would lift from the shoulders of moms here today. The shoulders of moms who are going to run home to nursing children. Noise around their feet. A pace that doesn't seem to ever slow up. To the moms who are here. Who are hoping today that they'll get a phone call from their son or daughter. Who is miles and miles away. Lord, every one of these moms has high hopes for their kids. They uniquely love these people. Lord, I pray for grace from you this morning, that the hope for their little Timothys would lie in you, Lord. You would be the source of their hope, their confidence, their peace, not themselves, but the God who breaks the formulas in our lives. As only you can. Bless these moms today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you, moms. Y'all have a great day. Be honored today.